Okay, welcome aboard to the Counter Vortex podcast, where uh, we're opening with the music of Ferhat Mekheni, an Algerian singer of the Berber, or Amazir people. The name of that song was L'Espoir, if I am pronouncing it correctly, The Hope. Once again, that principle which animates revolutions and liberation movements everywhere in the world. And Ferhat Mehini is definitely an exponent of such movements in addition to being a musician. He is also a political leader. And in fact, he is the, uh, in, I believe it was uh, 2015, he became the um, president of the Kabylia Provisional Government, which is actually aspiring to secede from Algeria. Kabylia, I should point out, uh, provide some background here, is the heartland within Algeria of the Berber or Amazir people. Now, the Berbers, as we've discussed before, are the indigenous peoples of North Africa, the ones who were there before the Arabs arrived, low many centuries ago. Uh, they called themselves Amazir in their own language. That's the singular. The plural is Imaziren. Their language is Tamazit, and they call their homeland Tamaza, which is basically what we would call North Africa, what the Arabs call the Maghreb. Uh, so uh, they are now divided between several contemporary nation states, principally Algeria, Libya, and Morocco. Just as for instance, the Quechua people of the South American Andes are divided between the contemporary states 
of Peru, Ecuador, Bolivia, and Chile, and part of Argentina. So indigenous peoples whose territory has been divided, much as the Kurds are now divided between Turkey, Iraq, Iran, and Syria. Very much uh, analogous situations in all of these cases. And uh, another thing which is common to all of these cases is that the indigenous language and culture has been oppressed and systematically discriminated against in all of these cases. And particularly in the, in the case of Tamaza, the Berber homeland, by um, uh, regimes such as that in Algeria, um, which uh, have an ideology of Arab nationalism and have until very recently, this has only recently been starting to change, have been um, committed to the notion of a, um, a monocultural state. And that's been starting to change in Algeria precisely because of, I believe, because of the, the threat of an actual separatist movement. Now, the situation has not come to arms in Algeria, and hopefully it will not. But um, back in uh, 2015, the Berbers actually did declare a Kabylia provisional government and um, declared their aspiration to actually launch an independence movement and ultimately to secede from Algeria. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later about what has transpired in the years since then, why this has not come to pass. Um, although I believe there are many Berbers who are still very much committed to the idea, I would like to um, speak with Ferhat Maheni at some point. But I, I wrote about an episode um, here in New York City, where I am speaking from, back in November of 2015. Covered it on my website, countervortex.com. Dot org, and also wrote it up for uh, my local neighborhood weekly, The Villager, when actually um, in October of that year, October 2015, uh, Berber activists symbolically raised the flag of Kabylia at the United Nations as a, um, a symbol of their aspiration for independence. And Ferhat Maheni was actually on hand for that um, symbolic protest action. The flag was, of course, taken down shortly after its symbolic raising. And uh, what's interesting about this is that it immediately followed, just uh, earlier that same year, earlier in 2015, the extremely controversial uh, raising of the Palestinian national flag at the United Nations, which was, of course, vigorously rejected by Israel. And uh, here is where, uh, you know, I'm trying to, here's the point which I'm really bringing this all up to try to make is that, you know, I've said many times um, that a global divide and conquer game is the essence of the international state system. And I believe that the, um, the struggle of the Berbers, of the Imaziren, actually, um, and of the Palestinians, actually provides a case study in this phenomenon, where these two peoples, the Berbers of North Africa and the um, Palestinians of what is variously called the Holy Land or Palestine or Israel or the occupied territories, etc., depending on who you ask, um, have been pitted against each other by international politics. Despite the fact that you would think that they would be in solidarity with each other as, you know, they are both 
peoples who have been denied self-determination in their own homeland. Also, that same year, 2015, Ferhat Mahani actually made a trip to Israel where he met with Knesset members who voiced their support for the cause of Kabylia. Okay, now we don't have to... Um, we don't have to, you know, think too hard about um, about what this is all about. I mean, obviously, Israeli leaders welcome any opportunity to call out the Arab-led the Arab-led states on their hypocrisy, which is why Israel has traditionally, at least, expressed lip service, shall we say, in support of um, uh, oppressed peoples within the Arab countries, within the Arab-led countries, including the Berbers in Algeria, Morocco, Libya, the Nubians in Egypt, and the Kurds in Iraq and Syria. Because, of course, all of these Arab-led states are supporting the Palestinians. And Israel has, uh, you know, a vested interest in denying the rights of the Palestinians for territory and self-determination. So you can see how um, the national states of the greater Middle East and North Africa are sort of, you know, treating people such as the Berbers and the Kurds and the Nubians and the Palestinians as pawns in the great game, so to speak. Now, I should point out that under the threat, I believe, of a um, an actual separatist initiative and certainly of, you know, growing unrest in the Kabylia region, which over the decades has seen periodic popular uprisings. Um, Algeria has actually made some reforms in favor of um, recognizing Berber cultural and language rights in recent years. Uh, Of course, you know, the um, more intransigent elements of the Berber leadership have rejected these as insufficient. But nonetheless, uh, it should be noted that these reforms have been made. Um, uh, in uh, early 2016, there was a constitutional reform in Algeria, which um, officially enshrined Tamazit, the Berber language, as a national language of Algeria. Not necessarily on the same equal footing as Arabic, which remained the national language of Algeria, but um, nonetheless progress, recognizing the, um, the right of the language to be used in public media, education, etc. So this is progress, and I believe it's progress which has been taken, you know, to try to head off this uh, Berber separatist initiative in the Kabylia region. And uh, just last year, for the first time, the uh, traditional Berber New Year holiday, Yanayer, was um, officially celebrated and recognized by Algeria's authorities um, as a um, national holiday. So this is, uh, again, progress, but at least, you know, there's a greater, um, greater space in the cultural sphere and in, you know, official political culture for, um, for the Berbers in Algeria. All right, now let's take a look at the situation in Morocco, where there have recently been real signs of hope, as well as some uh, 
very ominous signs of backsliding recently. I'll start with the hopeful signs, which is that um, Morocco also, way back in 2011, in uh, the early days of the Arab Revolution, um, made a similar constitutional reform, which uh, essentially made um, Tamazit a, um, uh, a national language, giving it greater weight in the education system and in public media and so on. Uh, and this, again, this was a fruit of protest. One of the most inspiring things about the, um, about the Arab Revolution in Morocco is, uh, well, for starters, hardly anybody remembers the massive protest in Morocco back in 2011 because um, it didn't, uh, you know, turn into a civil war. It didn't turn into a complete catastrophe. As, um, and, and significantly, the government was not overthrown. I don't believe that overthrow of the Moroccan government was ever a, um, an aspiration or a demand of the protest movements in Morocco. They were still, you know, uh, just wanted democratic reform as opposed to actually bringing down the regime. So uh, unlike the, um, the Arab Revolution movements in Tunisia, Egypt, Libya, Syria, Yemen, what happened in Morocco that year is a little remembered today, but there were, um, there were also huge protests in Morocco calling for, again, greater democratic space and quite significantly calling for greater cultural space for the Berber peoples. And the, the really inspiring thing here is that those protests really brought together Arab and Berber. They were you know, marching together in a unified movement demanding both greater democracy for Morocco generally and um, specifically uh, a greater place and a more dignified place in Morocco cultural life for the Berbers. So um, that was a, a very inspiring moment and one which actually um, won some advances, again, in the form of a, um, a constitutional reform, giving a, a greater place to the Berber language in Morocco. So that was a very hopeful sign. There's uh, been some rather mixed signals in the years since then. The Berbers continue to be among the most marginalized people in Morocco, particularly in the Rif Mountains, where um, traditionally the poorest and the most marginalized part of the country, and particularly since uh, you know the closure of a lot of the mining industry in the mountains, it's sort of you know turning into uh, you know post-industrial rust belt conditions up there in um, what was already, you know, the, uh, the most impoverished part of the country. And this led to a new round of protests in Morocco, particularly in the Rif region just last year. It was actually sparked by um, an incident in May of last year, May 2017, when um, a fishmonger in the fishing port of al Hosema got into an altercation with the police who tried to um, confiscate his catch with some bureaucratic justification and uh, was killed by the police. And this set off a, uh, a new wave of protests which rapidly spread to the Rif region and uh, the internal mountainous region, which is the heartland of the Berber people in Morocco. And again, these, um, these protests brought together both Arab and Berber youth in um, what was called Al-Hirak Al-Shabi, or popular movement. So, again, a very hopeful sign 
basically demanding this time, uh, you know, quite explicitly around economic grievances, demanding development for the region and, uh, you know, a halt to uh, police repression and so on. Um, But uh, now we get to uh, some of the more ominous recent developments from Morocco. One extremely frustrating story, which I uh, just came upon from uh, just a couple of weeks ago from the port city of Agadir, where the um, town leaders have undertaken an initiative to remove the street names in the Berber language, Tamazit. This was actually, uh, the, the city council voted to do this last month, that is to say July, and they're going to change the Tamazit street names to the names of Palestinian towns and cities. Ostensibly, this is being done as a show of solidarity with the Palestinians. But uh, you can imagine that the, uh, the local Berbers feel that they're, um, you know, their cultural um, uh, presence in, in the region and their, uh, you know, their, their sense of um, political geography, as it were, is, um, is being erased and they're not at all happy about it. Uh, Abdullah Badu, who is the head of Morocco's Amazir network, said, quote, we do not have a problem with Palestine. Certainly we support the Palestinians, but we do not agree with those who ignore the nature of the area and the history of Morocco. And added Ismail Keju of the Voice of Amazir Women she said, uh, changing street names to Palestinian names is totally against our identity, and we do not accept that. We do not want 40 strange names. So here is, uh, you know, essentially an act of cultural erasure against the Berber indigenous people of Agadir, which is being, to look at it cynically, and I confess what I do, <laughs> um, being disguised as a gesture of solidarity with the Palestinians. And what makes it painfully ironic is that um, Israel has been undertaking a very similar initiative in occupied East Jerusalem. Now, of course, Israel claims to have annexed East Jerusalem under international law. It's occupied, and they would like the world to forget that and actually view it as, um, as a legal part of Israel, which it is not. And, of course, that's exactly what the, um, the whole the controversy about the Trump administration moving its, um, moving its embassy to Jerusalem was all related to this question. And uh, there is actually an initiative in the Israeli Knesset now which would similarly change the names of, um, of neighborhoods and streets in Jerusalem from th- those which would still have Arabic names to Hebrew ones. Uh, Again, an act of cultural erasure, trying to pretend that the Palestinians were never there and um, and, and essentially to um, portray the notion of a single, unified, monocultural Jewish city. So, again, here you have the Palestinians in Jerusalem and the Berbers in Agadir facing exactly the same issue of, you know, their actual linguistic presence in the toponymy of the city is being 
erased. Exactly the same issue that the Palestinians are facing in Jerusalem and the Berbers are facing in Agadir. And you would hope that they would be in solidarity with each other. And it is to the great credit of Abdullah Badu of Morocco's Amazir network that in rejecting this move in Agadir, he was sure to express his support for the Palestinians. Because this is a clear example of, um, again, what I call the global divide and rule game, which is the essence of the state system. Okay, and here is some uh, really quite frightening news from Morocco, which points to the uh, possibility of Arab-Berber ethnic conflict. In uh, 2016, there were actually riots, clashes between Berber and Sahrawi Arab students um, at universities in both Marrakesh and Agadir, which left um, two Berber students dead. Now, I should say a little bit about the Sahrawi Arabs. The Sahrawi Arabs are the people of the territory of Western Sahara, which is, under international law, Africa's last occupied territory, or last colonial holding, if you will. It was the former Spanish Sahara, um, a Spanish colony, immediately down the coast from Morocco. And after the death of dictator San Francisco Franco in Spain in 1975, it was granted independence. But immediately upon being granted independence, it was annexed by Morocco. And for a while, the southern part was actually annexed by Mauritania, and they divided the region between them. But uh, eventually Mauritania withdrew. Now the territory is um, controlled by Morocco and um, claimed as a part of Morocco's national territory in its entirety. Again, in defiance of international law, very much as um, the same situation that East Jerusalem and the Golan Heights face, where Israel claims to have annexed them, and uh, this is not recognized by international law. And another, unfortunately, grim analogy between the two situations, between Western Sahara and Palestine, is that just as Israel has been illegally, in defiance of the world court and the United Nations, been building a, um, a wall, a security barrier, as they call it, through the middle of the West Bank. Similarly, Morocco has built a, um, a security barrier basically made up of giant sand berms with, um, you know, fortified with defenses through the middle of Western Sahara to keep out the... Um, the Sahrawi rebels. Now, there's been a ceasefire in place for the past several years, but uh, the uh, conflict really continues, even though it's no longer a shooting war at the moment because the two sides remain irreconcilably divided. Um, so, yeah, and, and, the, and the territory continues to be divided between the areas which are under the direct control of Morocco to the west of the wall or the security barrier and the areas which are under the control to um, the east of the security barrier by what's called the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic, which actually has its um, seat of governance just across the Algerian border 
in a uh, desert oasis town by the name of Tindouf. And uh, here is where it all gets complicated and messy because, uh, you know, Algeria has had, you know, its own differences with Morocco. They have a border dispute with Morocco. They actually fought a war with Morocco back in 1963, the so-called Sand War over their disputed border. So, uh, again, Algeria, for its own geopolitical reasons, its own, you know, sort of strategic game-playing, has been supporting the Sahrawi rebels who are seeking the independence of Western Sahara. At the same time that, uh, until very recently at least, again, we've noted the, the tentative positive developments in Algeria, but at the same time that it has been denying self-determination and cultural autonomy to its own Berber population. So again, this has had the purpose, uh, you know, the, had the effect at least of uh, pitting Berbers and Arabs against each other. And it's complicated by the fact that um, the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic is called the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic and very much shares the ideology of Arab nationalism and is being, you know, backed by uh, Algeria, which has sort of been, you know, the the big spokesperson on the uh, North African region for uh, Arab nationalism. Less so now, but it traditionally has been. So uh, the Berber population in Western Sahara is um, very suspicious that uh, of what their, you know, situation is going to be under the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic if the territory ever actually does gain independence. So, um, as you can see, it's all pretty complicated. And, uh, you know, the real challenge, as I always say, the real challenge is to not allow ourselves to be confused by all of the, um, the game playing by nation states, but to keep our eyes on the ball of political principle, the political principles of cultural survival and self-determination, and uh, finally, of international solidarity. So uh, I would like to know what we can do to try to encourage solidarity and unity between Berber and Arab alike across Tamaza or North Africa, between both the Berbers of Morocco and Western Sahara, as well as the Moroccan Arabs and the Sahrawi Arabs of Morocco and Western Sahara, and ultimately between the Berbers and, for that matter, the Kurds and the Nubians and the Palestinians. Because ultimately, if you come up for air and get out of the geopolitical game-playing and just try to view the situation on the ground, they're all fighting for the same thing. So, uh, you know, um, being inspired by the Zapatista movement in Chiapas, uh, when the Maya, I should say, are and other people who have been um, divided between nation states, primarily between Mexico and Guatemala. And there are also um, small Maya populations in El Salvador and Nicaragua and probably Honduras. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, more of a fan of um, autonomy 
as opposed to actual separatism. Um, I'm not dogmatic on the question, but what I find uh, most inspiring is the notion of some kind of uh, multicultural or, as the Zapatistas put it, pluri-ethnic autonomy, where um, nation-states uh, simply become less relevant rather than more relevant. And uh, people actually learning how to get along with each other on the ground with a sense of um, social justice and dignity and mutual recognition of each other's rights. That's really what inspires me and what I hope that we in our own dialogue and activism here in New York City and the United States can um, try to nudge things in that direction. So I hope that I've given you all some food for thought uh, in two weeks we, on our next podcast. We will continue to explore the question of the divide and rule game being the essence of the state system uh, with some other examples of peoples around the world who have been pitted against each other despite the fact that they are ultimately fighting for the same thing. So I hope that you'll join us. Everything which I have discussed tonight is documented on my website, countervortex.org. And um, I hope you'll check it out. And I'll sign off with the salutation in Tamazit, Azul, and the salutation in Arab, Salam Aleikum.